Right? And, and it was remarkable because <laughs> here he is, 87 years old, had lost contact with the Assyrian community for almost more than half his life. And here he is now reintroducing the community and he's loving it, loving the experience. Welcome everybody to episode 16 of the Assyrian Podcast. My name is Adessa and I am your host for this week's episode as I had the opportunity to sit down with Anki Nissen. Anki is the founder of the Center for Canadian Assyrian Relations, which you'll get to learn more about. One of the cool projects he and the organization are working on is a documentary titled The Forgotten Assyrians of Canada. So in this episode, we'll get to hear a lot about Canada and in particular, North Battlefield located smack dab in the middle of Canada, Ottawa, which is Canada's capital, as well as the greater Toronto Hamilton area, which is where the biggest population of Assyrians in Canada currently reside. We'll also get to learn about the history of Assyrian Canadians and what Anki calls a renaissance with the present day initiatives taking place in the community here. It's been great seeing this podcast taking off and we appreciate all who've been listening. One way you can help us out is letting your friends know about the podcast through iTunes using an iPhone or Google Play using an Android. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can be notified each time an episode airs. And if you like what we're doing, you can rate us and review us on either platforms and follow us on social media at The Assyrian Podcast. Finally, a thank you to our sponsor, John Oshana from HomeSmart. Whether you are thinking about purchasing or selling your home, either in Arizona or California, contact John Oshana Real Estate Professional at 209-968-9519 on Facebook at John Oshana Realtor or at John.Oshana on Instagram. Now, without further ado, Anki Nissan. I was born in Hasake, Syria, back in 1984, uh, Christmas Eve, for those who want to send me birthday wishes. <laughs> but born in Syria, we left Syria after my father was arrested. My dad was a member of Ntaqasta, the Assyrian Democratic Organization. And back in the late 80s, or mid, mid to late 80s, there was some uprising and civil unrest within Syria. And of course, the Ba'ath regime decided they need to clamp down on anyone who is not Ba'athi or a member of any other organization that is not Ba'athi. So Taqasta at the time was obviously not Ba'ath. However, they were not anti-government either. They were just an Assyrian group and looking to uh, further the Assyrian cause. And I'm going to interrupt you right there just because with the previous interview that we had done with May, she had also mentioned the, the Ba'ath regime. Now, it was my understanding, I thought it was just in Iraq. So in addition to Iraq, it, was also, it also affected Syria That's as right. well? Okay. So Hafid Assad was the president of Syria at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, he led the Ba'ath party within Syria. I see. Okay. Um, so at that time, there was an assassination attempt at uh, Hafid Assad. And so he decided to clamp down. And one of those groups that he had targeted was the Assyrian Democratic Organization, or Mtaqasta. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it now, my dad was one of those that was rounded up and arrested. Upon his release, he was there for a couple of weeks only. And then the, the patriarch of the Syriac Orthodox Church actually had wrote a letter to the president at the time, urging the release of, of what he called his children. And he said that if my children... To the Syria done, president. To the president of Syria. And he'd written that if my children have done anything against the country, you shouldn't punish them, but their father who has led them in that way. So he basically was saying, let them go. If you have problems with them, arrest me instead. Wow. So it was that bravery on his part to free members of the Assyrian Democratic Organization. Upon my dad's release, uh, my mom was pregnant at the time. And our, she was pregnant when he was in jail. And when he was released, my dad said, that's, that's it. There's no future in this country. So... Uh, the first opportunity he had, we left. My brother was an infant at the time, and we left him in Syria with my aunt to, to be raised with my aunt. And we lived in Greece in 1987, 88, roughly. 88, all of 88, we were there. And finally, February of 89, we came to Canada. So I'm as Canadian as it gets. My mm -hmm. brother joined us in 93. For those that are baseball fans, he missed the first World Series, but he caught the second World Series of the Jays' victory. <laughs> go Jays, go. But yeah, we, we've been here since 89. I consider Canada my only home. I don't know Syria. I went back in 2007. The land is ours, but it's not my home. Mm -hmm. Canada's my home. So 
That's kind of that's kind of where my history is at. When you moved from Greece to Canada, you had settled into the Greater Toronto area. Right. So we've we've been living in the Greater Toronto area since we came here in '89. We settled right in Toronto. That's where we had my aunt, my dad's sister, and that's where the majority of the Assyrians were living at the time. Now, it was a smaller community, nowhere near where we're at now with numbers, but it was an established community. So we still had the Assyrian Society of Canada was built at the time. We had a church in Mississauga. So we had some foundation, some roots within Toronto, and there's a long history of Assyrians within Toronto. And yeah, so we stayed here, and, and I'm still living in Toronto. I haven't left the area. I, Again, I see it as my home and I, I can't leave it. Yeah. So you came here at a very young age. So you grew up in Canada, really. Paint a picture for us of what the Assyrian community was like or has been like from the time that you've been here to now. Back in 89, I mean, I don't remember that too much because of how young I was. But my earliest recollection of an Assyrian nationalist or a cultural movement, if you will, was probably in 92 or 93, 92 I want to say, where the United Assyrian Youth of Canada, or Khuyadat Aleme, organized an Assyrian New Year at Mel Lassman Square, which is an open square. And back in that time, again, to, to reference here, Mel Lassman Square was located in North York, and North York was a separate city from Toronto. So it was not considered Toronto at the time. There was an amalgamation later on and, and that brought it into Toronto's jurisdiction. But we had uh, the Assyrian New Year celebration in a public setting out in the city center for North York. It was remarkable. I mean, I can still remember the t-shirts. I still remember the sights, the sounds, you know, seeing how many non-Assyrians were coming in mingling. They had chigga out in public and people dancing chigga. And I could remember just watching these beautiful clothes and looking back at pictures, those beautiful clothes that I was looking at were Julet Khomada mm. and just some unbelievable sights and sounds. And they did a, such a fantastic job. And that was my earliest recollection of having an interest in my culture. Progress a little bit later on and I realized that there were still some negatives in the community and there's still some shortfalls. But then we noticed there was a new movement towards university students. And that was led by Firas Jattu and, and Sue, his wife. Uh, and now they live in California, unfortunately. We miss their talent here. But they were instrumental in finding and in, in, in creating Aksu. So at the time, I remember we had, again, Khoyadat Aleme. They had a hall, a little hall that uh, was in North York. And who had owned it? Like they owned it? It was a lease. Oh, okay. It was a lease, uh, if I remember correctly. But it was paid for by them. They had raised a lot of money. They were around since the 80s. So they were an established institution. And they allowed Firas and Sue to create a student union in their building. So they would use the facilities for free. And Sue and Firas would bring these youth over from all the different churches that we had. And it was basically a study group. And I remember my sister would go there and she would study with people like Rania and Alda and, and Yo, Joe and Isaac. And, you know, all these names are, are coming back to me now. But, you know, they would get together and they would study. And they created, uh, at the time, it was known as the Assyrian Canadian Student Union. And it's since evolved to become the Assyrian Chaldean Syriac Student Union and, and has grown huge, exponentially, really. I mean, it's, it's remarkable the work that they've done. And it was all based on uh, Firas and Sue finding a need in the community and you know jumping on that need and, and creating something so what we've noticed though with the Assyrians since then they've slowed down in Toronto there was a and period what do you think that is well I mean we look at the Assyrian Society of Canada as a perfect example of what happened to our community now the Assyrian Society of Canada was built I believe it was in the 70s mm. and it was created as a community hub to bring the Assyrians together in one setting and have parties and, you know, just uh, social gatherings, tea parties. And today, I mean, the Assyrian Society doesn't exist the way it used to exist. The building stands, it's owned by Assyrians, but it's been leased out to a non-Assyrian entity who mm -hmm. use it for their own use. So for a while, the community went backwards. Now what we're seeing in Toronto, and it's not all doom and gloom, there's a, a, almost like a renaissance happening here and, and I don't know what happened I don't know what sparked it I think it's the age of social media something happened in Toronto and there is now a renaissance we are seeing and groups created like Bitnahren Heritage Center in Hamilton 
Aksu has exploded. Center for Canadian Relations has done amazing work here. But yeah, I mean, the work has been amazing. We're seeing Khuyadat Aleme starting to participate again and doing more work. The church has started doing more cultural programs. I mean, I'm in shock. In Hamilton, we've got the Assyrian language classes. In London, Ontario, they, they opened up their community center now in London, Ontario. So shout outs to them. In Vancouver, we've had emails contacting us saying we want to do something in Vancouver. Who would have thought 10 years ago that we would be talking about Vancouver as a, an area where we're talking about a Syrian project? So, you know, there's something happening. Maybe it's things, mediums like this podcast that we're doing right now. That kind of stuff just, you know, it brings a different type of pride. You know, talking about our history of ancient history where we had Assyrian hunters going after lions and kings and queens and, you know, the first to establish laws. It's great. You know, we all love our history, our ancient history, but our modern history is remarkable and we're so blessed to have it. You know, we're going to talk about it, but we're, you know, we've got guys like Johnny Esau who won the Order of Canada. No one knows about that, or very few people know about that. So I, I think there's hope, there's light at the end of this tunnel that we had in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s, and I, and I really like what, what I'm seeing and where we're going. You mentioned CCAR. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and how that came to be? Yeah, so CCAR, um, it's known as the Center for Canadian-Assyrian Relations. And the whole idea behind it was how do we connect the Assyrian community to the Canadian population? We've noticed a huge boom in our numbers here, obviously, after the wars in Iraq and then after ISIS invasion after in Iraq and Syria. Our numbers have spiked dramatically and, and not just Toronto, um, across the board. In Saskatoon, we have a lot of Assyrians now. In Vancouver, they're, they're growing. In Calgary and Edmonton, growing. Montreal has boomed with the Syriac Orthodox population. So we're growing. And this is across Canada. It's a trend. So we were, we were sitting back. Uh, I was actually sitting at home doing nothing. And I got a phone call from my dad, who was still actively engaged in, in Assyrian matters. And he said, listen, there's a bunch of us getting together at a Tim Hortons. Uh, again, shout out to Tim Hortons if you're listening to the sponsor <laughs> us, please. Um, so they were Which is at- also a, a common place where Assyrians <laughs> gather. It is yes. a common place across Canada, the Timmy's, right? Timmy's parking lots. Um, that's a different story for a different podcast, let me tell you. Uh, but in any case, we were, they were sitting at Tim Hortons and he said, can you come over and talk to these guys? Now, at that time, yeah, I was sitting at home, but I was sitting at home for a reason. I was busy planning a run for city council. And I had networked extensively with local politicians in Toronto. I had networked with provincial politicians. I was starting to network with federal. So I had some idea of Canadian politics and I had some idea of what, how things operate in Canada. Very simple, basic stuff. By the way, how did you even delve into that? Was that something that you wanted to do from an early age or what influenced that? Well, my dad always said, opportunities present themselves once. Jump on them. And sometimes you just have to make an opportunity for yourself, right? I mean, if you look at a house and you want to make open concept, you see a wall in front of you, what do you do? You cut that wall open, you make it open concept. And, and in life is the same way. Sometimes you don't have a door to open. Sometimes you don't have a window to jump through. You just got to break that wall down and go for it. And that's what I did. I mean, I noticed that no Assyrian had ever run for city council in Toronto, at least not from my records. And so I thought, well, why not? You know, why don't we run for city council? And you know what? I didn't end up running, but my brother ended up running. And he ran in a by-election in Scarborough. Um, There were, I think, 40 candidates that ran, and he finished in 10th. Not bad. He didn't have, you know, the Assyrian community in that riding, but he ran. You know, he tried it, gave it his all, and he did well for for a first-time runner. So that's why I started to go into politics, because I thought we needed it. You know, we had um, Helena Georges, who was a, a Syrian MP in federal Really? Yeah, she was a federal MP. She was uh, an Assyrian uh, from Erin, Ontario. Her family is all politics. Her dad had been mayor of that town for God knows how long. Uh, Her brothers ran in different levels of politics. Again, they were one of the earliest Assyrians that settled in Canada. But yeah, so that's what I was doing. And so when I met with these guys at the Timmies, they presented to me a bylaw, a couple of pages that they called bylaws because they had plans to create an Assyrian lobbying group. And I read the bylaws and I thought, this is a joke. Everyone there was over 50. So the ideology that they were presenting in the bylaws were, you know, take from back home and bring them here. Mm. You know, uh, there's no need to have an athletic council 
director in a, in a lobbying committee. It, it didn't make any sense to me. So I said, okay, guys, look, I, I'm busy. I don't have enough time for this. But I said, if you want me to be a part of this, you have to give me full control here. I'll redo your bylaws. I'll work on this project and we'll make it happen. So we did that. They said, go ahead. You know, you're the young guys, you and your brother, go ahead and figure it out. So I took it back and I redid all the bylaws, went from two pages to, I believe we're about 40 pages of bylaws now. And that's what we did. We just created CCAR because there was a need for, at the time it was deemed to be a lobbying arm and we created it. So we started, but when we started working, I, I realized that there was a niche that no one had touched. And that niche was the Assyrians of Canada and the focus on us here at, in Canada. Every organization that I've ever worked with focused on back home. Mm-hmm. Iraq, Syria, for a little bit, Iran, even smaller Turkey. Mm-hmm. But no one focused here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, how many picnics have we been to and we've raised all this money and what did we do with it? We sent it back to, to Iraq and Syria, which is great. They need it. Absolutely. But we've created a void here where we don't have a community center. We don't have any language programs apart from the church on Sundays. And now that, you know, and this was before the Assyrian school in Hamilton. So I thought, okay, let's change it up a bit. Let's make CCAR a cultural center, a community center, and focus on promoting our culture here. Mm. Bring pride here uh, so that we don't lose Assyrians. And that was essentially how it started. And it's since exploded. I mean, I've had, I've been called up to Ottawa to testify in front of the Standing Committee for Citizenship and Immigration. And again, I don't know the entire history of Canada. I think I was the first one to sit in that chair and testify. If there's anyone that was, that's done that before me, please send us an email because I really want to know and I really want to document that history. So there I was in Ottawa testifying and talking about the Assyrians and saying how Canada needs to contribute to the NPU and give money to protect the Assyrians. It's not just about resettlement. And if we look back in our history, the British tried to resettle us in Guyana, in British Guyana. Could you imagine 10,000 Assyrians being removed from Syria and Iraq after World War I and brought into British Guyana? Unbelievable. They had talked about moving us to Thunder Bay, Ontario. I mean, this is remarkable history that we're pulling, um, that we're gathering right now. And, you know, we need to preserve our history here in Canada so so we don't lose it. So if someone was in an elevator with you, what would you say the elevator pitches? They ask, what is CCAR? Uh, CCAR is an institution that will promote Assyrian culture and heritage within Canada, while at the same time educating Assyrians about Canada. And that's the other big thing for us is we're here now, right? And I, I for one, I, and I'll say this over and over again, I don't ever see myself living in Iraq or Syria. Even if uh, we were blessed to have a country known as Assyria, I don't think I could ever move back there. I don't know the culture there. I don't know what life is like over there. You see your present and future here. My entire life is here. Yeah. I, and I'm not speaking just about myself. I can, I can safely say I'm speaking for more than half of the Assyrian population that are here. Grew up here, born here. They can't go back in those regions. They just they won't be able to survive in that area. So having said that, how do we make their lives here prosperous and beneficial? And, and one way to do that is through not necessarily losing your heritage to accept Canadian. And that's one thing about Canada, which I love, is that it's multicultural. So it promotes other cultures within Canada. But one thing that we have to learn here is we have to understand Canada's culture and Canada's history. You know, we have to learn about the natives. We have to accept that this is their land, that, you know, we as Westerners, or in our case, we were Easterners, but we came into this land, you know, took it over from the natives. And we have to understand that history. We have to understand what the Assyrians have contributed to Canada and what the Canadians have done for us. So, there's a crazy mosaic and a crazy history that we have to accept and understand. So CCAR is going to play that role at some point down the line. And the way we've been growing has been amazing. And it's just a matter of time before we start building a, an actual community center uh, where we can create these programs for, the, for, our, for our future generation, for the Canadians to learn about us. And I'm optimistic about where we're going. And, and it goes back to what I said. This is a renaissance that we're seeing here. And, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. And be part of the forefront. Absolutely. What have been some initiatives that CCAR has done? So one of our our biggest highlight, if you will, is our annual Christmas in Assyria concert. We gather singers from all over and we come out and we perform. And we've highlighted and showcased a lot of Canadian talent, like Nadia Yona. Nadia came and performed uh, on Christmas in Assyria both times. And she was our saxophonist. 
We had Janelle Youssef. Remarkable. I mean, this girl is going places. Stella, who lives here in Canada, helped us out big time with both parts. I mean, she was the reason for Christmas in a cereal. So we've been able to highlight that talent. And at those events, we were able to invite politicians from all stripes to come and experience some Assyrian culture. And they loved it. Every person that I met to, actually the leader of the NDP, federal NDP party, Jagmeet Singh, uh, came and out. NDP, for those who may not know. The New Democratic Party. Okay. Um, it's a, Which is a political party in it's Canada. It's a political yeah. party in Canada. It's a federal party. He's now their leader. And at the time, he was uh, on the provincial level with the New Democratic Party. And actually surprised us all by speaking in Assyrian. Which was <laughs> actually he took me aback, and I was like, "How did you know Assyrian, man? Like, I'm here to talk to you, and I'm gonna give you a couple of words to say, like Shlamalocho, right?" And he came and shook my hand and said Shlamalocho, and I was like, "What is going on here?" Actually, because of that experience with him, I worked hard to make sure he was elected. Um, I really believe he, and I don't trust a lot of politicians but there's something about Jagmeet that I love he's awesome and his brother now Guratan Singh is running in Brampton and he's reached out to our community he's noticed that the he reached out CCAR and he's noticed that uh, the Assyrian vote in his riding is a swing vote they can actually and this is remarkable they can actually determine who is going to be elected uh, for the provincial uh, riding of Bramley Gore Malton. So you're telling me we have influence. We have tremendous influence, and I don't think we know how to use it. And that, and that's the crazy thing is that we have power. It's just a matter of getting together and creating these institutions, which are starting to come out now, and jumping on these opportunities, right? And and we'll get there. We absolutely will get there, but. It's going to take some time. And, and one of my favorite quotes, the best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And that's what I love about what's happening today is that we've planted this tree now. And I can't wait to see it blossom. And actually, uh, one of the earliest organizations that, was, that I found in Canada was uh, organized by Fred, Frederick Shomendy. And... I'm having debates whether or not he was part of the Assyrian church or whether he was a Maronite, but he actually created an Assyrian organization back in the 1910s-ish, roughly, in Toronto. He called it the Assyrian Young Men's Club. So uh, Frederick actually passed away many, many years ago, again in the 1920s, I want to say, or 30s, and he was only 32 when he died. But wow. he had created the Assyrian Young Men's Club. And, and this is part of our history of Assyrians here in Canada that we found. And it's, it's been surreal with our research. So you've been with CCAR for how long now? So we've been around now for six years. For six years. Uh, and elections just happened. Yeah, elections happened um, last week. And yeah, as I stepped down <laughs> as, a, as the president of CCAR, I felt like six years was more than enough time to establish what I needed to establish. And I think it's on the right path. And I know that the new president, uh, Um Tashino, is going to lead it in a, a clearer path. Uh, uh, she's going to move it 10 times better than I ever could. Uh, she's a very skilled woman, determined, passionate. She's a paralegal, so she understands the law way better than I do. Um, and she's a nationalist. And, and I love that. And I love that we have female leaders like Rosemary who led Aksu for many years. We have Yvette that's leading Bitnahren. And I mean, Melissa is another member of our board who's just surreal. I mean, we're you here with the Assyrian podcast. I mean, we have amazing talent and it's not just men, it's men and women. And I think it's amazing. I think I, I'm excited to see where CCR is going to go. And I, and, I, and I did step down after six years and a lot of people were shocked by it. And I, I, I still don't know why, because I truly believe in term limits. I think every organization should impose some sort of a term limit. Do you think that's a part of how, what healthy leadership looks like? Absolutely it is. I mean, we look at every nation that has thrived. And every nation that has thrived has had people that have realized, okay, maybe my leadership is not going in the right direction. I think it's time that I step down. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that. And I'm not to say my leadership was not leading in the right direction. What I'm saying is that sometimes there are people, not sometimes, there are people way better than you and you're in a position of leadership. Give them a chance to shine. Let them take charge. And I think that's what I did. I, I, took, my, I took the time and I said, okay. I reflected on our accomplishments over the past six years. And I said, all right. I've done all I could do, right? I've done everything I could do um, in terms of my capacity. 
Now it's time to step aside and let's see a, a new vision. Let's get some fresh ideas and let's see where they take CCAR. And I'm behind them 150%. I will back them any way I can, financially, advice, going to their events, but it's time for a change. And I think, and as I said, we, we look back at all the nations that thrive who have either term limits or people that realize their, their time is done. And the ones that have you know stagnated or have been oppressive have always been the ones that have had the single leaders for eon. Time for change. And I think that's one thing that's going to help us in the future. And it's going to keep us fresh and, and active. And Kay, I want to talk a little bit about an initiative that you have been working on, which is a documentary highlighting, is it a story, a single story of a, an Assyrian Canadian? So it's a, it's a documentary that we've called The Forgotten Assyrians of Canada. My ultimate desire is that we get enough support to support the first film, but we want to create a miniseries. So right now, our work has been on, our focus has been on an Assyrian Canadian uh, by the name of Joseph Backus. And how this came about? Well, uh, it came about when I went to Ottawa and testified. And after my testimony, I decided I was going to go visit the new uh, Canadian War Museum. Uh, just opened up about a year ago. I thought, great opportunity to check it out. Went in there and I saw a computer that said, you know, search last names and you'll find a list of soldiers who served in World War I. So I decided I'm going to punch in all the Assyrian names that I remember from a news article on Zinda about the first Assyrians of Canada. So I punched in Esau, Odisha, Bacchus, George, Robin, Yonan. Couldn't find anything. Finally, I, I decided I'm just going to punch in names that I know. So I punched in Sedegun, Ashur, <laughs> Isho. Finally, I punched in a name Sapir, and something popped up. I was like, oh, cool. I got one from World War I. Imagine. Wow. So I looked it up, and it was Sapir, and he was from North Battleford. And I was like, okay, he has to be an Assyrian. I don't know anything about this name. I'm going to write it down. When I get back to Toronto, I'm going to do some digging. So I went back to Toronto, sent an email to the archives in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. I said, listen, I just want to know, were there any members of the Assyrians who served in World War I or II? Can you send me any information about them? So she sent me a list of a couple of names, but the one name that stood out was Joseph Bacchus. Joseph Bacchus. And she, so she had information on those that were Assyrian that served? Yeah, so wow. uh, okay. one of the remarkable things about North Battleford is they, they love the Assyrian history um, mm -hmm. that they, they have. They believe them to be one of the first settlers in North Battleford and they helped build the, the city. And we'll, we'll touch about that in a, in a second because there are still some Assyrians living in North Battleford that are descendants of the original Assyrians. So she sent me this article about Joseph Bacchus, who served in World War II, and sadly he died. He died fighting for freedom. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity to write about it for Remembrance Day. So I wrote a tiny little article, and you can see it on our website, titled, Today We Remember the Fallen. And it was strictly about him. And about a week later, I get an email. And it's an email from a guy named Joe Backus. And I thought it was a joke. I, I really did. Truthfully, I thought this was a joke. But the email read, uh, Hi, Inky, I saw your article about Joseph Backus. I was really moved by it. I just want to thank you so much for remembering my uncle. And if you have time, I have medals of his, pictures of his, and my dad is still alive if you want to talk to us because we want to share his story. And I was just, I was just moved. Absolutely. I was just moved by it. It turned out that he got word. This is how the chain went. Posted the article online and Twitter and Instagram, yada, yada. I get an email from him, but he got an email from his dad's cousin. No, he got the email from his dad, who got the email from his cousin from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, who got the email from Scotland. So his from his son. And his son was, is in Scotland? In Scotland. So there's this guy in Scotland. That's to the a, Assyrian word there right? that gets by so fast. Unbelievable. That gets around. Yeah. And, and so I get this email and again, I'm thinking it's a joke. So I contacted a friend of ours, Romel Shamoun, who's actually producing this film. I said, Romel, I know you're in Vancouver. I hate to do this, man, but can you just meet up with this guy, Joe? Can you just call him and see if he's legit? Because if he's legit, I, I think I want to jump on this. So Joe and Rommel met for, for a couple of drinks and Rommel emailed me and said, dude, this guy's amazing. He's got war medals. He's got pictures. I think you should come out and meet him. And we spoke about it as a group at CCR and I said, okay, you know what, guys, I think we need to do something about this because I think it needs to be told. It's a story that has to be told. Flew out to Vancouver and I met with Joe and I met with Bob Backus, his dad, Robert Backus. And I'll never forget this. I called Bob and I said, Bob, listen, 
I'm coming up to Vancouver. I want to meet you. I want to do this documentary, but I don't want to bring my cameras on day one. I only want to meet you. I want you to meet us. I want to meet you. I want to have a conversation. Hmm. If you trust me and if I trust you and we're happy, we'll do this film. So I walk into his house day one and I, I, I don't know what it is about Assyrians. I really don't know what it is about Assyrians. Any house I've ever been to who's an Assyrian, like I just went and visited Atia Gomri from Holland. Any house I've been to, and I don't ever know who these people are, I've never been in their home, they welcome me as if I'm a son. And, and it goes across the board, everywhere you go. Remarkable. Assyrian hospitality. It really is. There's this beauty about our culture that's so welcoming and so warm and loving. I love that feeling. So I walk into his house and, and I felt like I was at home. And I felt like he was just another uncle of mine. And we were instantly, we clicked. Mm. And I have relatives that are, my wife has relatives that are in Vancouver. And she said, you know what, bring them over. Let's have a dinner. Let's have a big dinner. I'll invite all my relatives. You bring them over. Let's reintroduce them into the Assyrian community. And so I told Bob, I said, listen, if you're comfortable, we'll film. But I also want you to come for dinner because you have to have some dinner. You have to have some old school Assyrian food. (laughs) And he said, I'd be honored to come out and by all means, please film us. So that night he came over and he was sitting in his chair and I was watching him and he had a tear coming down his face. And I said, Bob, what's the matter? And he goes, just looking around. And and I mean, there's a lot of people in this house and there were new refugees as well that had fled ISIS. Um, Actually, when ISIS took over Chabot, these people, one of their relatives was kidnapped. So that's why they fled. So here's Bob Backus, born in Canada. He's 87, I want to say, years old, born in Canada. Remember this. Wow. And there's this little infant girl, also born in Canada. Both of them came to Canada because of persecution. Bob came from the 1915 genocide, and she came because of the new genocide that just happened. Both were born in Canada. So that is remarkable, their connection. But there's Bob with a tear down his eye. And I said, Bob, what's the matter, man? You know, aren't you happy? He goes, this is just bringing me back. This is taking me back to when I was in North Battleford. And I was seeing my mom and, and, you know, we would sit as kids and we'd be sitting on these chairs and we lived in this tiny little home. It was a two bedroom, I believe he said it was. It was a tiny little home. And whenever the Assyrians would come and they'd, they'd always have a big meal. So every Sunday would be a big feast at my parents' house. And they'd play their music, they'd play a record, and they'd all start dancing around and holding hands and dancing in a line. And all of us kids would sit on the, on the sofa and lift our feet up so they wouldn't trample us. <laughs> And he just had this tear and he goes, you know, and I'm remembering words now. He goes, I'm remembering there was Dolma, there was Mashi, uh, what else? And he's going on, he's going, hey, what is, what is the word Nashi Shidane mean? <laughs> right? And, and it was remarkable because here he is, 87 years old, had lost contact with the Assyrian community for almost more than half his life. And here he is now reintroducing the community and he's loving it, loving the experience. It was so surreal and it just... It reaffirmed my belief that we need to, to build these institutions to keep us our culture alive because they, they're leaving, they're disappearing, you know, and, and you got to do something to keep them, keep them interested keep them engaged. And, and yeah, so we started filming Bob and it took us to North Battleford where we met Margaret Beach, another amazing character. I absolutely adore this woman. She's Is she in, an Assyrian lady as she's well? She's in her oh, 90s and she yeah. was born in North Battleford, Saskatchewan to Assyrian parents remarkable she gave us a tour of north battleford we went to the cemeteries there uh, her and donnie Bacchus, and we met the lady from the archives in north battleford as well who had all that information for us and then from there we went to holland and belgium and we filmed the gravesite of joseph Bacchus. Uh, so it was a little bit of a, a somber day but again another crazy twist the grave immediately behind joseph Bacchus was that of an s which we found out later was sandy sandy parisian Armenian. Could you imagine? Here we have an Armenian whose family probably fled because of the 1915 genocide. And we have an Assyrian whose family definitely fled because of the 1915 genocide. Both families coming to Canada, both boys serving in World War II, both of them dying and being buried together at a cemetery in Bergen-op-Zoom in Holland. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying it was crazy just just an unbelievable experience and i'm so honored to be able to bring this to life and trying to create a story about it so i'm excited i'm excited to see where it's going to go because one of my biggest things is we need to understand our history here in canada we we talk too much about our ancient history it's 
the ancient history is our ancient history. We need to know it, absolutely. But our current history is filled with amazing people, right? And I mean, you look back at the history of ADM and the sacrifices that they've had to make. And you look at even even more modern, you've got Elmer Abel leading the charge with the NPU and Michael Uash with the NPU. And you've got the Assyrian National Policy being created. I mean, I told you it's a renaissance. I, I swear by it. You've got Savina in Iraq right now doing remarkable work, you know, and even the church leaders are doing tremendous stuff. You know, in Australia, they're building the, the first university. Unbelievable work is being done across the globe. And I'm so thrilled to be part of it as well. So so you're really and this is a remarkable thing and you're right it is so necessary is really documenting our modern history is knowing these assyrians who have been born here for and we're born here for decades right and how else would we know their stories and so this is one way of of being able to do that and what do you what do you hope to gain out of the documentary well, the documentary, we wanted to make it, we want to make it free, first of all. I don't want to take money from people for the documentary. And the reason being is I wanted to create an educational tool. I wanted to be spread across Canada, across the world, for the world to know about who the Assyrians were and what they did for Canada, right? Because, I mean, we have, like I said, Johnny Esau. Uh, Johnny Esau was a sports broadcaster, and he actually has a, a really famous interview where he interviewed Phil Esposito after the uh, Russian Summit series, where... Canada basically got booed off the ice because they had lost to the Russians in the 70s in that one particular game. And he interviewed Phil. And that's still on YouTube. If you guys want to see Johnny Esau interview Phil Esposito, it's still there. And Johnny won the Order of Canada. His brother is still alive. His brother's in, the, in his late early 90s, I believe. He's in Vancouver as well. And we're, my hope is I get to interview him at some point too because his family's full of amazing stories too. But again, we have that. We have Helena Georges, as I mentioned. We don't know about her. The Shamandi family, were they Assyrians? Were they not? I, I, again, I don't know. But I know that they have contributed to Assyrian. You know, what happened to the Assyrian Young Men's Club? What happened there? What, why did that dissolve? You know, Can we find more records on that group? Can we bring it back to life? Right? I don't know. There's so many amazing things in our history that we've just lost. You know, Our first church that they built in or that they bought here in Toronto, it's gone. What, what happened to it? Actually, talking about the first church, the first church that was built, I, I got this record from uh, Fadi Daoud, who's a historian. It was built in Quebec City in the 1880s. So we have the first Assyrian Orthodox Church built in Quebec City in the 1880s. Crazy, crazy wow. our history here in Canada. So I'm proud of that Canadian history. I'm proud that we're here in Canada. And as Assyrians, we're still able to preserve our identity and our language. But we need to know about what happened here. Right. And what were our shortfalls as well? We need to know those in order to not make those same mistakes. Yeah, there needs to be proper documentation and archiving. And so it's a very important step. You're taking that CCAR is taking. Yeah, so CCAR has funded, I want to say about 80% of this so far. The other 20 being out of pocket and you know the community has been on board. So they've all made donations to CCAR and CCAR said, okay, we're, we're allocating this fund for the documentary. So uh, to date, I believe we've raised $3,385, I want to say. It's on our website uh, for those that want to see our numbers. Our goal is 10000 um, okay, I, so you're still you're fundraising for it. We're really? still okay. we're always actively fundraising. Again, a lot of these expenses we've paid out of pocket. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we went to Belgium, I mean, I'm not taking money for dinner or for meal expenses, but it costs money, right? You've got hotel expenses and car expenses and audio video equipment. There's a lot of other fees. And now we're at the part where uh, we've done we're we're done filming. Now it's just a matter of putting it together. But now our, our big expenses are going to be the studio costs of uh, music and putting it all together and voiceovers and, and whatnot. And I may still need to come back to Vancouver one more time to, to finish it a little bit there uh, to do some more B-roll footage. But yeah, we're still about 6000 short. But I know the community will be on board. And if they're not, I mean, there are, there are government grants that we're, we were applying to. We haven't gotten anything yet. But we're applying for government grants and we're applying. But I know at the end of the day, it's going to be a free thing for the community and it's going to be something that's going to be beneficial to them. Because at the end of the day, uh, and Michael alluded to this a lot, lots of sacrifices have been made to make this happen. And lots of sacrifices are going to continue to be made in the community. If we want to see it grow, everyone has to sacrifice something for the benefit of the whole. Yeah. And that's what's happening. Here. As you've been doing research with Canadian history, particularly looking at the Assyrians in Canada, what other things have you found? Apart from the earliest settlers coming to uh, Quebec City in the 1880s, I also located a couple of names in Pickering, Ontario, which is a small town 
in the early 1900s. But the earliest record of a mass migration that I've located was in North Battleford. And at the time it was just known as the Battlefords. It's in Saskatchewan. And for those that don't know Canada's map, Saskatchewan is pretty much right in the middle of the country. And North Battleford is pretty up north. Uh, it's rural, it's cold in the winter, it's really, you know, it's a gloomy place. It's not anything like Udemy. And so the Assyrians came in 1903. They were led by Dr. Isaac Adams. And they were from Udemy, which is why you're making the reference? That's right. Okay. So the Assyrians came from Udemy, and at the time the, there was some persecution happening in that region. And Dr. Isaac Adams and the Presbyterian Church came down there and they, they grabbed a, a bunch of the, those families and they immigrated to Canada. And he led the charge and he brought several families, I think it was around 20 families or so, brought them into North Battleford. And those families were the Esau's, the Odishas, Bacchus, uh, George, Robin. So there were several of them that came there. Mm-hmm. Once they were there and settled in North Battleford, they started getting jobs and working and they, were, they bought land for cheap. Now, the reason the land was so cheap was because the land that they had bought was full of sand and it was really difficult to farm anything there. So it was a challenge for them to get the soil right for farming. But eventually, after a couple of years, so in 1906, they had enough resources to bring more people over and they brought their families over. So a second mass wave happened. I think that was another 40 families or so. So we're looking at around 60 families now in North Battleford. Dr. Isaac Adams, I guess, and a bunch of those families that didn't like lifestyle in North Battleford and if you've ever been I don't blame them it is nothing like Udemia and so they said okay it's time to go so Dr. Adams was in Chicago in 1908 and they decided you know what we're going to head out to uh, what is now known as Turlock so California California so Dr. Adams went back and grabbed a bunch of those family members and off they went to Turlock California Uh, and as you had alluded to earlier in our conversations, it falls pretty much on the same uh, latitude as Udemia. So the, uh, the temperature there is about the same, the climate's about si- it's similar. And there was a remark where he, he claimed that the, the grapes in Turlock were the same as the grapes in mm-hmm. Udemia. So he, he helped establish Assyrians in Canada, and then he helped establish Turlock. So the Assyrians of North America owe a lot to Dr. Isaac Adams and his, his work to bring us over here. Now, that was the earliest settlement. Another major settlement happened in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And that's something that we don't talk about as much. Now, Thunder Bay was, is in northern Ontario, sort of. It's right on the top of all the Great Lakes. And there's a large community that came and settled in, North, in Thunder Bay. And as I alluded to earlier, there was talks about actually settling um, Assyrians after the World War I uh, into Thunder Bay, Ontario. So it's pretty neat there. And I know a couple of people that are from Thunder Bay that are living here in Toronto now. And there's still a lot of Assyrians, uh, descendants of Assyrians that are in Thunder Bay still to this day. So again, there's that history that we have here and we don't know it. And we should know it, right? We should know about Margaret Beach. Margaret Beach has done tremendous work preserving the Assyrian identity in North Battleford. Her kids are still living in North Battleford and her grandkids are still in North Battleford. Now, now here's how crazy it is. So Margaret Beach born to Assyrian parents, married a non-Assyrian, so she had a bicultural family. And then her kids married, also married non-Assyrians, and their kids were so intrigued just about their Assyrian identity. Imagine, wow. right? <laughs> so they're, they're an, I guess if you do the math, my math sucks, I think they're about an eighth Assyrian, and yet they did the DNA 23andMe because they want to see if they could locate family members from their Assyrian lineage. Unbelievable. And again, it's it's just things like that where they were so happy to see us there. You know, the North Battleford News did an article about us talking about these Assyrian producers coming from Toronto and filming about the Assyrian history here in North Battleford. Oh, well, they big, did? Okay. Yeah, it was a big deal to them because they've never seen something like that. And, and I think it's important that we bring that back because... Now, after the war, there's a large and growing community of Assyrians in Saskatoon. And Saskatoon is only about an hour away from North Battleford. And I think we need to create something there. We need to create an institution in Saskatoon to preserve our identity so that it's not, it's not lost. And I'm, I'm all for you know, marrying an Assyrian, if you will, to preserve identity. But how many Assyrian families do you know where it's an Assyrian dad and Assyrian mom and no one knows anything about Assyrians? They can't speak the language, can't read or write. They forget their identity. So what's the point? Right. It's the Assyrian is how you wish to be. You raise your family in a certain way. That's an Assyrian way. Like I said, we walked into Bob Bacchus's home. 
And I felt like I was at home because there's some sort of a love in that house. And to me, that is the Assyrian way. So yeah, we, we have to preserve that identity, I think. And, and we have to go back to um, promoting it, if you will. So you're all working on creating a documentary and really showcasing and having a platform where these people's stories can be heard. Are there any other resources out there that people can learn about the history of Assyrians in Canada? To my knowledge, uh, no. I don't think we have any database or any kind of record keeping of the Assyrians. And, you know, we talked about the Assyrian and the Assyrians and their strengths. We have a lot of weaknesses. One of our biggest weaknesses is data collection. I think right now we're seeing a huge shift. And, and one of the reasons, uh, let's go back to, uh, let's just have a random conversation here about statistics. Toyota. One of the reasons Toyota has thrived, you know, what makes Toyota better than Ford? What makes Toyota better than all these other manufacturers? It's the Toyota model. They understand how numbers work. What makes Google the best system out there? You know, Yahoo was up and about for many, many years before Google came out. And yet Google is the leading power now. Why? You look at them, it's their statistics. It's their database. It's their record keeping, analytics, right? All these talks we hear about in the media and we kind of think of it in a negative light. But they're what make organizations thrive. And I believe that as Assyrians, we need to harness that tool and utilize it for our benefit. You know, we need to have an understanding, a clear understanding. We need to have an internal census. Where do all the Assyrians live? Right? It's important to know how many families do we have here? We should know that so that we can create services. The Bitnaharan group who focus on community outreach programs. And we need to create those kinds of programs to target these these people that need it. So going back, we're, we're starting there. You know, we talked about the 20 years ago, we should have done this. We're doing it now. Uh, sure, it's a small scale, but it's, a, it's something. It's a start. And I think once we have peaked certain people that are statisticians, maybe um, mathematic majors, uh, maybe they want to contribute now and they say, hey, you know what, this is this intrigues me. You know, I want to do something more with my life and I'd like to give back to the community. And this is one way I can do it. And we're seeing that with Axu. You know, so many kids are now saying, you know, Axu is a great opportunity for me to start expressing my Assyrianism. And they're doing it. And now that they're becoming professionals in their field and they can come back and say, OK, now I want to contribute in a different manner in a professional level. How do I do it? Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to see that they're coming back to the community and they're not going and disappearing. Right. And that's the one thing. So when they come back and they're helping and I think we can build those databases, we can build uh, an archive, we can build a record keeping. I mean, the, we need to have a, some sort of a Canadian museum here of Assyrian history. Right. Oh, that would be so cool. Right. So cool. So why not? Why don't we have it? Yeah. So we're, we're working on it. So okay. I know CCR is working on something like that. Their plans are ambitious, to say the least. Like, I mean, As they should be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You need to aim high. Yeah. What are you aiming low for? Yeah. What are you aiming for something that you can grab? You know, the best fruit is the one at the top that you can't pick. Mm -hmm. You got to find your way to get it. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're working on, uh, or I keep saying we because I keep thinking, <laughs> they are working on, <laughs> again, it's that. Your time has come. Yeah, my time is done. <laughs> so they're working on, a, on some really ambitious projects. Uh, CCR is going to be a charity. And through that avenue, we're going to be able to raise a lot more money. You know, one of the statistics that, again, going back to stats, one of the statistics I found was in 2016, the Assyrians in Canada and, and the Assyrian churches in Canada, let's word it that way. And that includes the Assyrian Church of the East, uh, the ancient Assyrian Church, the Syriac Orthodox, the Syriac Catholic, and the Chaldean churches. Across Canada, we're able to raise $9.6 million in 2016. Now, I'm not knocking that and I, at all. I think that is tremendous. What that tells me is there's an appetite to donate, that the community does give money. They're not shy about giving. So what I also notice in those searches of charitable listings, we don't have any cultural charity group here in Canada. Nothing. For our listeners in the States, Canadian charity laws are way different than the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S., that. yeah, if you're, if you're a nonprofit entity, you can provide tax receipts that, not here. We're nonprofit. We can give tax receipts to businesses and they can write it off as business expense, but we can't get personal tax receipts unless you're a charity. And when you're a charity, the rules are crazy. They're so strict and rightfully so, I think, because if the government's giving you money back, they want to make sure that that money's being used properly. So 
they're going to go charity. It's going to be a community center. And once we establish that and once we open that, I think some of that 9.6 million can be turned into cultural money. And I don't, I don't see why we should stop you know, giving money to the churches if you have faith and you wish to give to a church, by all means. And let's keep it at 9.6, but now let's raise the cultural groups as well. Yeah. And I think there's, there, like I said, there's an appetite to give and people give, and we just have to find the statistics and numbers to back up our, our claims and our, our initiatives. And I think once we create this cultural center or community center, if you will, I think the community is gonna be better for it in the long term. I guess last thing is, if you had a microphone and your audience was all of the Assyrians in, I'll say the greater Toronto area, because this is where there's influence because you, you live here. What is something that you would tell them? What I would say to our community is simple. You have a lot of amazing, young, bright, active minds. For those that are in their 50s and for those that are in their 60s and for those that are in their 70s, all I ask for you to do is remember when you were in your teens. Remember when you were in university. Remember that passion and the fire that you had for your nation. And now you need to support those that are working for their community. You need to come back and give. And I hate to say it because a lot of us probably don't have the resources, but contribute financially. If, you, if there's nothing else that you do, give money to the community. Give money to social projects. Donate as little as $5 a month. What's $5 a month, right? $60 a year. It'll help build the pool of funds needed to create these institutions. It'll help build the pool of funds where maybe one day we can start offering scholarships to our young minds. One day we can build a building that'll have a historical center, a museum showcasing the Assyrians here in Canada, you know, highlighting all of our accomplishments here. Maybe one day it'll build a school here in Canada, here in Toronto, an actual school, an actual academy like the Armenians do. Maybe one day it'll help elect an Assyrian into member of parliament who will fight for Assyrians. Why not? Why can't we do it? And we can do it. And I, and I believe we can because I see the young minds who are growing up and they're giving back. So now I think the older folks need to step up and need to help back. You know, just remember that fire that was in your heart back then and understand that these kids now, these youth that we're growing, that are growing here today, they have the same fire, they have the same passion, they have the same drive, and they want to do something. Let's let them have those voices and that, that opportunity to have that influence in their community and, and help. That's my only advice. Remain engaged, remain active, and give as much as you can.